the church year, the Big C church year, revolves around two cycles, uh, one for Christmas and one for Easter. Uh, the Christmas cycle begins with the season of preparation that we refer to as Advent, and the Easter cycle begins with a season of preparation that we refer to as Lent. Uh, lasting approximately 40 days, Lent recalls Christ's fasting during his 40-day temptation testing in the wilderness, which is a central part of what we'll look at in just a moment. Uh, but that that number 40 comes comes into play several times. In Genesis 7, we read that it rained and flooded the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, Moses spent 40 years as a shepherd in the wilderness, preparing for God's call on his life to set uh, God's people free. Israel was set free, but then wandered for 40 years in the wilderness in preparation for entering into the promised land. So each of these periods of 40, whether days or years, each period was a time of preparation that led to new life. And these 40-day or 40-year periods um, led to a significant return to God. Lent, in particular, is a 40-day wilderness journey that we willingly enter into that precedes um, the resurrection message of Easter. In other words, to help us um, embrace that life-giving message of Easter. Um, we have uh, readings for each week of Lent on our website. If you go to baymarin.org, click on the resources tab, and you'll see um, uh, another place uh, that, uh, that you go to that says lectionary. And these Lent readings help prepare us for Easter, but more than that, like I said, for life. And the scripture reading is a, is a common practice that people include when they build their trellis of practices for growth. So if you are looking to, um, to have this practice of scripture reading incorporated into your daily or weekly journey, uh, then I would suggest that. Um, over the next five Sundays of Lent, we will we'll see how, in particular, how Lent can be a time of returning, of returning to God. Uh, returning to God is our source of joy and peace and satisfaction. Um, a reading that takes place on Ash Wednesday every year is from Joel 2, uh, verses 12 and 13. I'm going to put this in the, um, I'll put these in the chat feature. Of course, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open that up and you can follow along that way. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. And then he goes on to write, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Um, even, even if you've never committed to follow Jesus to begin with, I'd still use this word returning, and here's why. Um, each of us was created for a life with God each of us choosing to go our own way in our own ways. Um, so returning to God for the first time or for the umpteenth time, this is an opportunity for us to make our way towards God. Um, the gospel reading that we'll look at is from the gospel of Mark. And before I read that, just to give you a, a little bit of an overview 
I don't want to um, in any way assume that this was something that you would or should know. Uh, but there are four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four books of the Bible that are referred to as Gospels, um, which, as we'll talk about, simply means good news, four books of good news. And each of those books give us a parallel but unique perspective on the life of Jesus. Uh, Mark, who uh, wrote the second of those Gospels and the one that we'll be reading from, he is also known as John Mark and mentioned in Acts. He's a relative of Barnabas who accompanied uh, Barnabas and Paul on their first missionary journey, but then spent significant time with the apostle Peter. Mark was not one of the original 12 disciples, but he was, an eye, uh, he was not an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry, but due to um, the amount of time that he spent with Peter, who was an eyewitness, Mark began to record um, these accounts of Jesus' life as spoken through the words of Peter. Uh, based upon the stories that Mark includes throughout his gospel, um, there are some that, that he omitted that other gospel writers included. But we kind of pick up on the theme that what Mark wanted to, to help us understand uh, is how we can endure suffering and persecution. Uh, more than any other gospel, uh, percentage-wise, one-third of Mark's gospel deals with the suffering of Jesus. And then on top of that are many other references to suffering throughout his book. Uh, Matthew presents Jesus as a fully divine Messiah. Mark showed how Jesus was also fully human and a servant, and he was completely obedient to his Father's will. And Jesus' baptism, for example, was a humble expression of that obedience. So that's where we'll pick it up in Mark's gospel, beginning in verse 9. Uh, Mark 1, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So water baptism for the early Christians was an initiation into Christian existence. It was amazing and dangerous. Uh, baptism is a picture of a death and burial necessary before being raised to new life. If you can kind of picture someone being immersed below the surface of the water and coming back. Um, so there's this amazing aspect of baptism that is, that is declaring you are now a full-blown citizen in this new kingdom of God. And it's dangerous because you're willingly dying to the entanglements that have characterized your life up to this point. Romans 6, Paul writes this, Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Um, dangerous. <laughs> but verse 4 talks about uh, just this word of hope. We were therefore buried with him, through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a, a new life. And so this is the, we enter into this. Jesus was obedient in doing this and setting an example for us. He was not baptized uh, for um, having his sins washed away. Uh, the Bible tells us that he lived a sinless life 
But in this instance, he is giving us an example of obedience to the Father. The next verse that we'll look at in Mark 1, verse 10, this is where um, I hope that there is a video recording of this, but if you can, just kind of use your imagination and step into this scene with me. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. This is interesting. Um, I learned this in doing some preparation study for, for today. Torn open, that phrase torn open, Mark uses that phrase twice in his gospel. He uses it here at the time of Jesus' baptism, and then at the time of Jesus' death on the cross. The first tearing, as we just read, was the tearing open of heaven, and the second was the tearing open of the curtain in the temple that separated the holy and pure presence of God from the rest of the world. The tearing open of a heaven and a curtain, both were inviting and violent, simultaneously amazing and dangerous. When the heavens were torn open, it signified that the barrier between the heavenlies and the earth is now removed. The boundaries between heaven and earth are blurred. God's spirit, through the tear in the sky, spilled onto earth. Um, let me, to, to kind of better understand what Mark is talking about, um, let me ask you this. This will be another uh, chat-related response that you can give me. What movie do you quote most frequently? Almost all of us have some lines from a favorite movie that we tend to weave into conversations with friends and family, others who might be familiar with that movie. Which movie do you find yourself quoting most frequently? Steel Magnolias, Princess Bride, Another one for Princess Bride. I, I hear you on that one. Mowage. Love, two love. Holy Grail. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> uh, Wizard of Oz. Dodgeball. Yes. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Um, the one that I figured everybody would say up front uh, was Star Wars. That might be coming. What about Bob? Oh, that's a great, great movie. High School Musical, Zoya, um, that's that's great. I've never seen that, <laughs> but I've heard it quoted. Um, the Emperor's New Groove, Forrest Gump, yes, quite a few from there. Um, if you were to ask Beth and I, what's the movie that we quote the most? I would say it's probably Christmas Vacation, the old Chevy Chase classic. And uh, that is, um, it's one that we thought was great and Everyone should see it until we had kids, and then we were horrified as we watched it with our kids. But anyway, we, we quote that one um, quite a bit. Well, the point of this is that sometimes things are said um, in the New Testament that were like quoting familiar movie lines from the Old Testament. And this is one of those instances. Um, in Mark 1.11, we read that a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. To the devout Jew, hearing that, they would recall Psalm 2, verse 7. 
he said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. So just like we would parallel something, oh, this reminds me of, they had this awe-inspiring moment of, wow, this is this was prophesied long before. This is the God of heaven saying to Jesus, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So can you even begin to imagine how amazing that baptism experience would have been? I mean, what does it look like for the heavens to be torn open? I mean, it sounds very violent. What was that like? How amazing it would be to audibly hear the booming voice of the Almighty saying to you personally, I love you and I am so pleased with you. I mean, who could hear God's voice at the time? And did the voice really sound like Morgan Freeman? That's another thing that I want to know. I think that would be pretty amazing. <laughs> but as amazing as that is, it's also dangerous. As we're about to see, Jesus was sent by the Spirit into the wilderness. When up top at the beginning of our service, we began to list these things that simultaneously were amazing and dangerous. That's why we remember those. That's why they are etched in our brain, because they were amazing and dangerous. I pray that we have more um, encounters with God that are etched into our minds that other people observe and are etched into their minds because they are both amazing and dangerous. That they are amazing because of God's hand in it and dangerous but memorable because of the faith in which we had when we stepped out to do it. So Jesus was sent into a wilderness. And he's like, I, I know what it's like for you to encounter amazing, but also dangerous. And in faith, I want you to step out and do this. So the wilderness that he is, is in really is more like a desert, um, a barren desert. And Mark describes it, and, um, and then we can just kind of put in some pieces as to what this would be like. But um, he's surrounded by wild animals. With wild animals, if you've ever gone camping in a wilderness area, you know what it's like to have wild nighttime noises around you. And then what I think is the worst sound of all are the wild thoughts that hum in your head in that silence. A, a few weeks uh, ago, just a couple weeks ago, we talked about the W of the growth acronym. And that W stands for winters of pruning. In Mark's briskly paced account, Jesus transitions from this amazing springtime of newness of baptism and is ushered directly into a winter of pruning from a well-watered valley to a barren wilderness. So during this wilderness experience, um, I wonder if Jesus began to question what exactly he had been baptized into. Can you relate to that? You take this this big step of faith. God is doing amazing things. And then sometimes before we know it, we find ourselves in a situation and we wonder, what have we exactly been baptized into? This is how Mark describes the wilderness in verses 12 and 13. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness 
wilderness. And in the wilderness, 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. So um, we're wearing out the chat feature today. Another question for you. Um, if you were going on a solo camping trip, like um, primitive camping, not to a KOA camp, not to China camp and one of their uh, reserved spots. Um, if you were going on a primitive camping trip, what are the essentials that you would take on a solo camping trip? You're kind of thinking, okay, what's essential to life? What is not? What would I leave behind? Um, can I actually carry this on my back? Can I tote this that far? What are the essentials that you would take on a solo camping trip? <laughs> a motorhome. Yes. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> um, a drip coffee cone. Yes. I, I knew some of these. <laughs> We're revealing priorities at this point. A flashlight. I hear you. Toilet paper. Amen to that. <laughs> Um, water. Okay. And if not water, I was thinking I would take one of those filtration systems, uh, that you could use uh, at a lake, um, art supplies. Hey, yeah, why not? Um, a pillow, an air mattress. <laughs> yes. Um, if you're going to be out in the wilderness, let's get comfy. All right. Um, if, if you were to, um, genuinely, go into and I, thanks for having fun with that question uh, what is essential to life and what is not um jack and i and a friend of ours uh josh in the south bay a few years ago we did some primitive camping it was about a 10 mile hike um and i think we saw one person while we were out on this hike uh we set up camp by this lake uh, we brought one of those water filtration systems and that was how we got water we did bring enough food because we didn't trust ourselves to actually catch enough fish to feed ourselves. But um, I brought a small camping tent. It's, a, it's, it's supposed to be a tent for, it's known as a two-man uh, tent, but two men do not belong in that tent. I can tell you that. Um, Josh brought a tarp and uh, used one of his trekking poles to just kind of make a tent. I mean, bare essentials this trip um there were a lot of things that i wished i had while we were on that trip a motorhome yes um i would have uh, loved to have had a deluxe thermostat amazing socks and more dehydrated food thank you joanna for mentioning that um, but we had to kind of make some choices what was essential what was not so here's the point of this um if you're going to enter into this Lenten season, um, what are the essentials that you need to battle the Lenten wilderness of temptations and trials? Let me put it to you this way. What is essential to life when you are in the midst of a trial? What could you leave behind in this season of Lent? And that's really a healthier way of thinking about Lent. A lot of times you'll hear someone say or ask, what are you giving up for Lent? If you thought about it, okay, from this perspective, um, 
This Lenten season is my way of entering into whatever trial it is that I'm in right now. And as we enter into it, we choose to leave behind those things that are unnecessary, that are not essential. Mark doesn't go into a lot of detail, as, as do some of the other gospel writers, about the specific temptations. But let me just kind of summarize in this way and think about it from our 40-day um, season in Lent that we are entering into. During this 40-day Lenten season, you may be tempted at some point to use your gifts and abilities to secure and satisfy yourself. Jesus was. During this 40-day Lenten season, you may be tempted to disregard human limitations. Jesus was tempted to do that. During this 40-day Lenten season, you may be tempted to seek a worldly form of success rather than bowing to God's authority and worshiping him only. Jesus was also. And we know that Jesus overcame those temptations. And I want us to think also that temptation is, it's not always just being tempted to sin. It could be a temptation to avoid, a temptation to numb or deny or run from, rather than addressing, enduring, or being reshaped. So as you enter into this time, pay attention to the trials that you're in, the types of temptations that you face, and recognize Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm with you. I, I went through that as well. And then I'll wrap up this portion of uh, Mark's account and this, this lectionary reading with these two verses. And Mark 1.14, to me, is one of the strangest verses in all of the Bible. It very simply says this, after John was put in prison, we're talking about John, Jesus' cousin who baptized him, John, who Jesus said, um, of, of all those people born in this world, no one greater than John. He's, this is a great man. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Does that seem weird to anybody other than me? Your, your cousin is put in prison and will soon be executed, and you use this time to begin proclaiming good news? Verse 15 says, um, The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news horrible situation, and this is kind of what launches Jesus into his message that he gave, the sermon that he preached over and over. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In our current world of pandemic and injustices and natural disasters and, oh my, what is going to happen next? Could the message be that now is the time to proclaim good news? Jesus preached that simple message, the kingdom of God has come near, repent 
and believe the good news. So let me put that in more, um, a more natural way of a conversational tone, especially the repent and believe. We invite people to take an honest look at their life and the world around them and see it as God sees it. That's repent. That's, that's having a new way of looking at life, looking at life from God's perspective. And at the same time, we embrace a new way of living. That word believe <clears throat> is probably best understood by us as embrace. And don't think that this is like a, a two-step process. First, you repent and then you believe. First, you have this change of perspective and then you embrace a new way of living. Um, they are actually one movement, letting go in order to embrace. It's all one movement. Let me <clears throat> let me use a story from my early 20s to kind of um, illustrate this. Uh, I was 22 years old. I was a youth pastor at a church. In other words, I was just basically an older youth at the time. Um, and I took my group of students to a summer camp. And on the last full day of camp, they offered as a um, just a voluntary, if you wanted to participate in rec, this is how you can do it. They did a, they offered a modified triathlon. And it began with a short swim in the lake, followed by a mile or so run that involved going over or through different obstacles. The obstacles were kind of the third aspect of the triathlon. Again, it was, it was voluntary. Um, but I was 22 years old. I just graduated from college. I was, I played four years of college sports. I was in great shape, but I am a horrible swimmer. And so we're standing there um, on the beach at this lake <clears throat> as um, the people that were responsible for this activity were kind of explaining the course that we were about to, to dive into and, and run and all that. And the, the swim was simply out to this buoy and back to shore. And it was not very far. And they described it as that, as, you know, it's not very far, but just in case, and it was almost like who in the world is gonna need any help with this. But, and they assured us that lifeguards were stationed out in the lake <clears throat> with inner tubes if we needed any help. So when the race started, I don't think they had a starter's gun. I think it was a whistle or whatever. The race starts, everybody on either side of me in this race dives in and starts swimming, kicking, paddling. I wade in as far as I can go. So I'm like neck deep in the water. And then I begin swimming, which was really a little bit more like a doggy paddle. And so, like I said, I was, I was a good athlete, but swimming was not my thing. And so this next part, I, I can't explain what happened to me as I neared the buoy but I would describe it as a full body cramp. I was completely spent, only at the halfway point. Remembering uh, that there were lifeguards with inner tubes, um, I raised my hand and I called out for help to the nearest lifeguard. And what I remember him saying really caught me off guard. Um, the lifeguard said, okay, just a little bit further. And he, he motioned me his way. And I don't think he understood how much I, 
no, I need you to come here. I, I can't go any further. In fact, I actually went under and fought my way back up to the surface. And I think from that, he realized how serious I was. And as he came to me, I, I hooked one arm over into the inner tube and I slowly pulled my upper body up on top of it. And for a period of time, I just laid there. I draped face down across that inner tube. I had never known a full body fatigue like that. But the point that I want to make is this. I embraced the inner tube. I didn't just believe that was an inner tube. I embraced it. The word embraced is a better description of what Jesus meant when he said, believe the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Let me ask you, have you ever had to embrace something because your life depended on it? The kingdom of God has come near. It's like Jesus knew we didn't have it in us to swim any further. The Savior came to us. And in coming near, he invites us to believe in him, to embrace him as though our lives depend on it because they do. Lent is a season where we take account of any distance that has grown between God and us. And we ask ourselves if we drifted and we rebelliously kicked and splashed in the wrong direction. And we return through confession. God, I've drifted. God, I'm a terrible swimmer. I'm drowning. I cannot tread and stay afloat any longer in this life. And Lent <clears throat> is this time of raising our hand and raising our voice and calling on Jesus for help. Lent is a time of simultaneously returning and embracing. Now, if you're like me, you're going to be tempted to return and simultaneously say, God, I'm sorry. I promise I'll do better. I got this. But no, this is the time of face down, resting on Jesus, draping our exhausted selves on him. And guess what? That's gospel. That's good news. The rescuer and his kingdom are here.